Well, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, let me invite you to go to John chapter 15 with me. John chapter 15, and I'm going to be reading verses 12 to 17. If any of you are note keepers, uh, the last time I was with you, I preached out of John, but it was John chapter 1. I have been preaching through this gospel at my home church, and yes, that's just how long. I'm three years in, and I'm at John 15. Uh, Actually, I'm actually almost at the end of John 16. I'm about to start John 17, which is that great prayer of Christ, and I've been reading an old Puritan who preached 149 sermons on John chapter 17. He preached 11 sermons on John chapter 17, verse 20 alone. So I tell my church whenever they think I'm taking too long, I'm not that bad. Um, But this is probably one of my favorite passages, and I hope it is a timely one for all of you. And just as we turn here, I do want to also say thank you. I know Brother Paul's not here. He's one of my dearest friends. And I want to thank you, Cornerstone, for loving on your pastor and giving him some time away. I know that COVID's been hard on us all, but let me say with him not here, you don't know how hard it's been on pastors. The pressure has been multiplied in ways. I have never been so tired as a pastor as I've been in the last two years. The stresses and the demands, all these things have been so, so quick and harsh and all laden with controversy and tensions. So I just want to applaud you and say thank you to this church family and to the leadership that you've loved on and cared for Pastor Paul and his family. And I know you care for all your pastors as well. And that's a sign of a wonderful, loving church. And so thank you for doing that. But I do want to talk to you today. And if you take your Bibles, let me read verses 12 to 17. To give you a bit of context, remember what's happening. This is Jesus' final address before he would go to Calvary. When you often read in Matthew, Mark, and Luke about the Last Supper or the Lord's Table as he instituted, and maybe you're wondering, what was the dialogue? You turn to John chapter 13 to 16, and that's where the gospel writers fill in the blanks for you as to what was said during that time in that upper room. In the middle of it, Jesus would say these words to his disciples. At this point, Judas is not there. Judas has gone to betray him. This is the word of God. This is my commandment, John 15, 12, that Jesus says, that you love one another as I have loved you. And greater love is no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Now remember, Jesus is 16 hours from doing this very thing. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. Why? For the, servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I, I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And not only did I choose you, I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Verse 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. Now, let's think about this. Here we are at the end of March of 2022. This is your first Sunday where you had the option to be maskless or wear one. 
where mandates and restrictions are now the choice of you, the general public. But does March 2020 seem that far away? It seems very close to me, doesn't it? And yet, for all of the excitement of today and seeing so many of you gathered here, we can still feel like we're still right in the middle of it all. Words like pandemic and now sixth wave are still in the minds of us all. Words like pivot, which I have grown to hate, are still seared into our minds and masks, lockdowns, community spread, physical distancing are still present realities. Then add to this our current stresses. The war in the Ukraine, the political division, the trucker convoy, vaccines and whether we should still get them or not. Do we need a fourth booster to wear a mask or not to wear a mask? Do we trust government, God, culture? And how should we act as Christians? And so here we are. We come together in Canada on this Sunday of the month. And what have you done? We have gathered to worship God. We have gathered to celebrate the gospel, to live out our faith. And yet, let us not forget, we still do so in a COVID world. The election is not that far behind us. There's been new alliances and coalitions made. And yet, we're still dealing with vaccine passports. We're trying to figure out what to do with our children and our schools. There's all the unknowns about the future of COVID and whatever is around the bend. And things like, is this vaccine truly safe? What will be the fallout of it? The all abouts, the what abouts, the how comes, and the what nows are in everybody's hearts and minds. And then there's us, the Church of Canada, trying to give each other grace, trying to be examples as good citizens, trying to obey a God above all else, trying to protect the weak and the vulnerable while still being a safe place for any and all people. We're surrounded by uncertainty. We live in a world of mistrust and defensiveness and fear, not to mention we all face our own struggles, don't we? I've just discussed nationally and provincially and regionally, but every one of you represents your own struggles. And we hear about the struggles all around the world. Social media continues to be a toxic cesspool of hate and conspiracy theories and labeling anyone who doesn't hold your point of view. And the result of this is in 2022, we live in a world where hurting people are hurting people. Marriage is hard. Family is stressful. I don't know about up here, but I know still in Newfoundland, going to a movie has created fights about space and masks. Going to a restaurant has been turned into the right of the vaccinated versus the unvaccinated. What yet about the church? What about Christians? Cornerstone has and is your church a safe place where hurting and searching and confused people are able to come together. We're here. Everybody is allowed to find love and grace and mercy along with patience and long-suffering and gentleness. A church, is this church a place for broken people to be honest and vulnerable, where sinners can sing of a great Savior who has declared them to be His saints. 
So, as you answer all of that in the privacy of your own seat, how? How are we going to do this? How is this church, the church in Canada, Calvary Baptist Church in Newfoundland, going to navigate the crazy times of our lives in the world that you and I find ourselves living in? How are we going to be true to God's Word, all the while obeying God's Word, and actually being Christians while we do it? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because I traveled 2,000 miles to tell you. Are you ready? Here it is. In three words, write this down. This will blow your minds. Look to Jesus. My grandfather said it doesn't have to be complicated to be profound. The Gospel of John is really a look at Jesus biography. John is inspired by his Savior to show us himself, Jesus, the Son, as Jesus relates to people. It's 21 chapters, carefully choosing seven signs and seven I am statements. And Jesus is interspersed within all of these I am statements and signs with conversations with people. And they're people like you and I. Jesus will talk to sinners and saints He'll talk to outcasts and religious, whether it's his mother Mary to an unnamed woman at the well, there's a Pharisee named Nicodemus, or an unnamed guy who was born blind. He talks with intimate friends like those sisters Mary and Martha, and complete strangers like the paralyzed man who was superstitious and worn out by the pool of Bethesda. There are crowds and groups, believers and naysayers, and then... There's these 12 disciples. And all of it, all 21 chapters of John, are meant for you and I to come to one and only one conclusion. Even here on this day in March of 2022, John saves his purpose statement for the very end. In John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, where he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written. This is why I have collected this, so that A, you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's what he wants you to believe. Then he says, this is the result of believing, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. I said back in March of 2022 that I felt COVID would bring three different waves to humanity. There would be the COVID wave itself, the disease itself. Then there would be the economic wave, which we are all feeling. Gas is $2 a liter in my city, all right? A gallon of milk is over 8 bucks. okay? So there's the economic wave, but then, and I think we're about to enter into this tsunami, the mental illness wave, where all of the tension starts to come out. We see it everywhere, don't we? And this is why John wants you and I to realize that if you and I will look to Jesus, not only will you have life, but you'll have abundant life in his name. And we want to be a great testimony in this post-COVID world. We want to show people not that we're perfect or strong. We're weak, messed up people who have a perfect, strong Savior. And he gives us a sense of peace. Think about the men in this passage that we call disciples. 
There's fishermen, a tax collector, a zealot. Jesus had called them, cared for them, taught them, empowered them. He sent them. He protected them. He had shown them things, rescued them, rebuked them, walked through their confusion and their doubts, their pride, their lack of faith, and their lack of understanding. In in a sentence, what did Jesus do? He really loved them. Jesus has just back in John chapter 13 washed their feet. In fact, it is a pretty crazy thing. When you come to the end of John chapter 13, he tells them that Judas is going to betray him. He doesn't name Judas, but he basically says, I'm going to be betrayed. Oh, by the way, I'm leaving you. Oh, and by the way, and you're all too weak to follow me. And then verse 14 of, verse 1 of chapter 14 is, let not your hearts be troubled. Jesus obviously didn't take the same seminars with how to motivate people, did he? Can you imagine? I'm leaving Someone of you will betray me. None of you can follow me. Be at peace. Why would he say that? Because he wants them to know whatever is through the entire chapter of John 15. Look to me. Here's why. Because I love you. John chapter 15 can be broken down into three parts. Verses 1 to 11 is Jesus' love for his disciples. Our passage, John chapter 12 to 17, sorry, uh, 15 verses 12 to 17, is our love for each other. And if you want to keep studying it in the coming weeks, verses 8 to 21, Jesus explains their love for a world that will hate them. But ultimately, though, I don't think this church or I can unpack what it means to love each other until we look at how Jesus loves us. I think there's been a lot of call for the church to love each other. And I think rightfully so. The verse is here. Jesus says, I command you to do this. But I think we have gone about it the wrong way. We're trying to guilt each other into it or stiff arm each other into it or or shame each other into it versus motivating ourselves. The only way you and I are going to love each other is if you and I know how much God loves us. And that's what Jesus is really saying here. What are we actually doing as we gather together through various means to worship God, whether you're here or for those that may be still tuning in online? We are celebrating the love of God for us, but it's celebrating in community. This is what we're doing. This is why Jesus says, look at our passage, this is my commandment in verse 12, that you love one another as I have loved you. And then he qualifies it, greater love is no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Now, I want you to take a moment and stare at those words. Cornerstone, I want you to look at them and what jumps out at you about God and about Jesus and about you. Don't put your minds in neutral. Don't just go through another service. Personalize this. Now, find yourself in these verses. Jesus tells us that love is actually a command. Some have said this is the 11th commandment. Remember in Matthew chapter 11, when he, or 22, when he is quizzed by a scribe, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. But do you notice what Jesus is saying? Notice how Jesus books in our passage in verse 12 and verse 17. He starts in verse 12 and says, this is my commandment. And then notice what he says in verse 17. These things I command you. But what's actually in between in verses 13 to 16? Have you ever noticed? Notice and look at what it says. He says, let me say in between, 
this is my commandment, and these things I command you with what I will do for you. In other words, you'll never love, you'll never obey, you'll never be godly in your own strength. You'll never pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You'll never motivate yourself. You'll never clean yourself up. You'll never do this. And even if you try, the result will be burdensome and exhausting, and you'll end up in one of two ways. And this is our problem in our local churches today. When we try to love and clean ourselves up and overcome, you either end up bitter and tired and wanting to quit, or you just live for yourself. Or, worse, I actually think, you end up self-righteous and entitled, self-confident. You'll live life feeling like you're owed something. You'll know this because there's a sense of anger, a lack of being thankful, and a complaining spirit. And this is what the problem is. And this is actually what I think is infiltrating too many of our local churches. It's this self-righteous, entitled partnership gospel. And I'll tell you how you know. Because if you act like the Muppet judges, you know those two dudes that sit up in the balcony and they just mock everything that happens in the Muppets? There's too many Muppet judges in our churches. And why? Because we don't know the love of Christ the right way. Richard Baxter said, there are people who speak very casually about the imitation of Christ. Some foolishly attempting to gain their way to heaven by being like Jesus. And an example of this is the emphasis on the once popular, and I hope I don't offend anybody here, with those WWJD bracelets. You remember those? What would Jesus do? As if we can just boil down our entire Christian faith by answering the question, what would Jesus do? And the idea, Baxter says, is that all we have to do in any situation is know what Jesus would do and then do it ourselves. But the problem with this approach is that it fails to realize that Jesus is unique in both his person and his mission. In most situations, Jesus would do what we cannot do. And in some cases, Jesus would do what we should not do. And the important example is how Jesus responds to the sin of his people. He laid down his uniquely perfect life as the once-for-all sacrifice to atone for our sin. And for this reason, the very heart of the Christian faith is what Jesus did for us, and precisely because we could never do it for ourselves. And so certainly, as Christians, we're commanded to follow and imitate Christ Yet the Bible does not tell us to do what Jesus did. He commanded his disciples to do as he did. We're to follow his example. So in other words, having been loved by him with such a great redeeming love, we're to love others in the same way that reflects his matchless grace. This is my commandment that, I, that you love one another, verse 12, as I have loved you. So maybe a way to start your post-pandemic journey we need to see that it's so much deeper than the world's definition, this thing we called love. The Beatles did say, after all, all we need is love. And then they broke up. And herein lies the problem with the Beatles and the world. We, like they, think love comes from you and me. God's Word says it comes from Christ and Christ alone. And I want you to see three different things very quickly with me this morning. I want you to see the sacrificial love of Jesus. I want you to see the intimate love of Jesus. And then I want you to see the missional love of Jesus. 
first see the sacrificial love of Jesus. And this is a fundamental principle that every Christian has to think about. You've got to ponder and meditate on because it's not something you did. This is what we cling to every day and we, how we live our life. We need to apply the sacrificial love of Jesus to our everyday lives. The greatest example of the depth of the love of God expects it to be the subject here, right? He says, greater love has no one than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. And 16 hours, Jesus would go and lay down his life for his friends. Now, personalize it. He would do it for you and I. Jesus modeled it. He laid down his life for us. And then he not only modeled it in himself, then he modeled it for us. John, 1 John chapter 3, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought also to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So Jesus will yield his life in a few hours. And if we will emulate his love, we must be prepared for a possible future in which we surrender our lives. What has made the Ukrainian war so poignant and powerful to us? Has it not been those videos of families gathered around their last meal singing, He will hold me fast? Or that church gathered in the subway as a bomb shelter singing, right? Jesus loves me, this I know. And they're giving their lives, loving on people. And yet, here we are in Canada, fighting over masks and lineups at the bank. And if someone was too slow to leave at a green light. Jesus loved us so much that he gave up his rights. He gave up his throne. What did Paul tell the Philippians, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We are but a couple of weeks away from Easter. Day Norton reminds us, Jesus didn't just die for us. He walked through our death for us. Jesus didn't simply die. He was condemned. Jesus endured hell for us. And he wasn't deserving. He absorbed our death, took our sin, took our pain, and all to give us his love to give us His mercy and grace. This gives us value. This gives us purpose. It gives us hope and rest. It gives us joy and peace. It gives us a perspective on life and, by the way, on suffering. We were praying for Brother Ken, who passed away last night. Cornerstone, listen. He's alive. And in the presence of God... He will feel no more pain and no more sorrow. His, his tears will be no more. And we grieve, and his family grieves, but we do it with hope. You realize the world doesn't understand that. And by the way, heaven didn't gain an angel. <laughs> That's to demean Ken. No, Ken is now the adopted son of God in throne with all this great cloud of witnesses. And by the way, he's rejoicing in ways he's never known possible. What was it D.L. Moody said on his, on his deathbed? Don't weep for me because today is my coronation day. 
This is the power of the love of Jesus. This is the heart of Jesus. God sent His Son, John 3.16. He dies for us. He rises from the dead, goes to God the Father, sends His Spirit, pours His Spirit into our souls so that we can know the love of Jesus, experience the love of Jesus. The love of God for Christians becomes the love of God between Christians. Did you hear that? Don't tell me that you know the love of Jesus if you can't love the most unlovable person in this room. That's the sacrificial love of Christ. But then there's the intimate love of Christ. You notice this in verses 12 and 13. Notice he says, I don't call you friends anymore. I, I, sorry, I don't call you servants anymore. I call you friends. But I want you to see that passage through the lens of Romans 5. Remember what Paul said? For while we were still weak. Now, if you write in your Bibles, underline that. We were still weak. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since therefore... We have now been justified by His blood. Much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For while, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. And more than that, we also now rejoice in God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Through whom we have now received reconciliation. Now what jumps out at you? Over and over again, Paul wants you to personalize this. It's personal. It's intimate. It's not generic. It's specific. You have to do more than just personalize it. You've got to own it. You've got to admit it. You've got to cry out for it. Lord, I am still weak, but you're my Savior. Lord, I'm still an enemy of God, but your Son has made me your child. While I was still your enemy and still a sinner, Jesus loves us so much. God loves us so much. It's not a halfway or half-hearted love. It's not a moody love or an earned love. You see, I think that too many Christians think about the love of God the way too many husbands think about the love of their wives. So if you ask most husbands, does your wife love you? They'll go, yes, I'm just not sure she likes me. And I'm telling you, I do this. Most of the marriage counseling I do, husbands will say that to me. But too many Christians go, I know God loves me. I just don't know if he likes me. Well, this passage says he delights in you. And when you are at your weakest, when you have run from God, when you have given in to your anger or your impulses, when you have been overcome with your bitterness and your unforgiving spirit and you're ashamed and you're guilty, this is when Jesus says, come to Daddy. Come to me. Bring this to me. Because then you will experience love like you've never experienced before. And it will change you. And this is why John says what he does. God loves us as weak sinners who are enemies of all he is. And still Christ comes to earth to live for us and die for us. So when you and I get this, guess what happens? You can stop fighting. You can stop defending yourselves or justifying your sin. And you don't have to hide anymore. You don't have to define yourself by the things that happen to you. You don't have to prove your worth. 
Michael W. Smith was wrong. You don't have to find your place in this world. Satan doesn't love you, church. He wants to destroy you. And young people, the world doesn't love you either. The world lies to you. The world is moody. The world changes its mind. It accepts you one day only to reject you the next. You have to earn the favor of the world. Not so with Jesus. In Christ, we have the ultimate relationship because it's safe and it's focused and it's once for all. He says, I call you friends. And don't miss this. Do you know in the entire Bible, there's only one other place where someone is called the friend of God, and that is Abraham. So he says to a bunch of Jewish fishermen from Galilee, a guy named Matthew who is a Benedict Arnold traitor, and Simon the Zealot, you're my friends. Because they would have known. He just, he just said we're equal with Abraham. How special do you think that made them feel? Can I ask you, when was the last time you got up and said before you went to work or got into your marriage or started parenting your kids, Jesus is my friend. He wants to spend time with me. Gives that old hymn, right? He walks with me and he talks with me. Now that thing has some meaning, doesn't it? See, it's not just a hymn for funerals. It's a hymn for real life. This is what we have. Knowing Jesus gave up everything to give us himself, and he knows he can, he can boast in us. Paul told the Corinthians, for Christ's love compels us since we have reached this conclusion. If one died for all, then all died. And if he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. When we were running from God, even though we smile or go to church or try to do our best, when we look for love and meaning anywhere but God, when we run to the world and money and pleasure and stuff to find meaning, when we play games with God, using Him to fit our view of Him, God still loves us. You can never make God not love you. And this is why Paul said what he did in Galatians. I have been crucified with Christ. I don't live anymore. Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God. So God's love is as expansive as God himself. If God could stop loving you, then he'd have to stop being God. This is the safety and the security. This is the intimate love of Christ. It's sacrificial. It's intimate. It's love is active. Love pursues. Love is always. That's 1 Corinthians 13. But then, if you see the sacrificial and intimate love of Christ, then you see the missional love of Jesus. Now let's make it practical, and then we're done. Jesus loves us for a reason. He just doesn't love us to love us. He loves us for a reason. His love has an outcome. You see, if you know and believe and trust in the love of Jesus, you will know this. The only love that won't disappoint you is one that can't change, that can't be lost. It's not based on the ups and downs of life or how well you live. It's not even death can take it from you. God's love is the only love like that. And Jesus models it. It's this act of pursuing always love. 
But God, Ephesians chapter 2, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love that He hath made for us, made us alive with the Messiah, even though we were dead in trespasses. And then notice what He says. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that's not yourselves. It's God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. But it's a, a love now that has an outcome. We are His creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works. When you've been loved and forgiven and changed and empowered, you have a mission. You want to tell people about it. That's why the woman at the well, remember her? The woman with five husbands, and now she's living with a guy? And remember, Jesus still loves her. And watch her testimony when she goes back into the village. Come meet the one who knows everything about me. Could that not be the Messiah? She was known and yet safely loved. And that love is what motivated her to change. I know that you think, Steve, you know, you're all worked up here, man, for something we've all been told a lot. But are you getting it? I turned 50 in January. Don't I look good? <laughs> if my kids were here, they'd yell something out right now. I have known this stuff since I was five years old. But it is only in the last number of years that I have truly discovered what it means to be loved by Jesus and how much that motivates my holiness, my willingness to wrestle with my sin and my inadequacies and my weaknesses and my fears. Notice how Jesus connects this. His sacrificial, intimate, missional love, he says, is connected to something. Notice it in verses 16, to prayer. You can ask anything of my Father, and he will give it to you. And then it's to going. This is my commandment in verse 17. Now I'm going to send you out in verses 18 to the end. Sounds like Matthew chapter 9. It sounds like Matthew 28 and Luke 24. It sounds like Acts 1.8. We are called to love, and that love drives us to prayer, and it's a prayer for laborers, for people, for us to be witnesses, for us to have opportunities, for us to be help make it possible. God will never, by the way, listen, Cornerstone, God will never not answer the prayer of missions. In fact, you might be able to say, we will or can gauge our love of Christ and our love for each other by the urgency and passion of our desire for the love of God to be spread and shared with the lost. We are now called by God through Jesus, filled with His Spirit, to go and be the church. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. So let me say this. In the coming days and weeks, if cable news, if CNN, Fox, CTV, CBC, National Post, Globe and Mail, Twitter, Facebook, or anything else keeps you from unity with your brothers and sisters in Christ, turn it off, unplug it, unsubscribe from it, and prioritize your church over TikTok. Sid Didrik Bonhoeffer said, Christians who can no longer listen to one another will soon no longer be listening to God either. Sin is so comprehensive, it affects our reasoning. 
If someone offends us, then we think vengeance is the proper response. Someone hurts us, and we harden ourselves because pride and not vulnerability is considered strong in today's world. But God says, I will renew your minds. Amen? He says, I want you to love the way I love you. So here's what I want you to take home from this. I want to know, in John chapter 15, 12 to 17, do you see and feel the love of God for you? Do you? Then apply it to everyone here. Look around. Look around at who's here and who's not here. Not in a judgmental way, in a loving way. And ask, do you want this type of love to be known and felt by everyone who's here? Do you want the population of Aurelia and the surrounding communities and your neighborhood and your family and your spouse and your children and your friends and your co-workers and your fellow students to know the love of Christ like this? The sacrificial, intimate, missional love of Christ. And don't let this fly by you. Consider the ramifications of verses 13, 14, 15, and 16. Because it's what gives its power to verses 12 and 17. It's going to give us meaning in our church life and our mission, mission, vision. And it gives us a guide for how we can love each other. Grant Osborne says, Our relationship with each other grows out of our internal relationship with the three members of the Godhead. By the way, Cornerstone, we'll never truly know the love of Christ without loving one another. Love cannot be abstract. It must be concrete and lived out. And here's the big, big challenge of this right now. You've got to realize that these words, this reality of Jesus' love for these disciples, it so moved them and empowered them and changed them, it drove a sense of community and prayer and unity and purpose and passion and compassion. It's what fueled their mission and held them together. They loved being together so much that whenever they gathered to celebrate the Lord's table, they would actually have a meal together first. It was intimate. It was sacrificial. It was for a purpose. But you know what? Every one of you in this room is going to struggle with two things to make this personal. You will either say, Steve, I love your passion. It looks like this has really gripped your heart. But it's too good to be true. Jesus could never love me like this. Hey, listen, yes, he can, yes, he does, and yes, he will. Because I'm not a salesman, I'm a client. I have experienced this love. I've been asked many times, we have a lot of young people in our church, and they ask me all the time if I've ever doubted my salvation, and the answer is no. I have never doubted my salvation. And it's not because I've got some, because here's why. I have tried everything to run from God, and He never lets me go. And so now I'm much quicker to go, I don't want to run anymore. I love it every day to hear my Savior say, Come to Daddy. Come to Daddy. Bring me your questions and your doubts and your fears and that I'm not enough. And I can't believe I'm coming to you with this again. Any of you that are parents, I now have adult children. And two of them have experienced a lot of hurt in the last number of years. And what breaks my heart as a dad is when they try to fix things and they're too embarrassed or too proud or too stubborn 
to come to dad. And I tell them over and over again, I don't care what you do. I don't care where you go. I don't care how bad it is. You can always come to dad. How much more does Jesus do that for you and I? The second struggle that so many of you will have is I will love like this if somebody else does first. If my spouse will love me, then I'll love him back. If my wife will love me, then I'll love her back. When that church member loves me, then I'll love them back. Until somebody loves me this way, I can't love them. Somebody does love you this way. His name is Jesus. So you can forgive. And again, I'm not talking a Skittles life up here. I'm a guy that's been you know, attempted suicide twice. I've been sexually abused for five years. I've been stabbed and beaten more times than I can possibly tell you. I have a laundry list of reasons to be bitter and hateful and resentful, and God saved me from it all. And so now, I'm not known by that. That stuff that happened to me, I am known by God, and I'm His. And so I can forgive, and I can power to God run to Him in my weakness, in my frailties. Because I'm not a victim. I am a victor in Christ. He's my hero. And He wants to be yours. We're the whole realm of nature mine. That were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine. Demands. My soul, my life, my all. Come to Daddy and know the love of Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, I pray that my dear friends will have heard a better sermon than I could ever preach. Lord, I pray that you are the hero of this sermon. I pray for Cornerstone Baptist Church. I pray for all the men and women that are gathered here from the youngest to the oldest for all those that are tuned in online, that, Lord, today would be the day that they know your love. And it will change them. It will free them to admit that they're struggling. It will give them the courage to admit, I need to seek God's forgiveness for this sin. Lord, it will help them not to justify their anger or give in to their impulses. Lord, it will be the love of Christ for them that allows them to come out from hiding. They can stop pretending. Lord, help us to know your sacrificial and intimate and missional love. And may you change the hearts of us all for your glory. And may you revive this church. And may you send revival to Aurelia. Not so men and women here can be proud, but we can humbly say, Jesus paid it all and did it for us. In Jesus' name, amen.